What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Alex De Silva podcast. We hope you are well and having an amazing day, afternoon, evening, wherever you are in the world. And welcome to another episode. Remember to like, subscribe, and leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening. Now, let's get on with the show with your host, Alex De Silva. Today, I've got Chelsea. She is, what would we call this, Chelsea? I'm kind of struggling to understand. Are we survivors? Are we like CES survivors? Are we warriors? Like, what are we? Yeah, I would say I would say we're survivors or we're continuing to survive because it never goes away. Yeah, well, this is it. it, it and, and this is something I'm really interested in, in finding out your story because I'm now starting to speak to more people and starting to understand that no one's story is the same. And, you know, everybody's completely different, which I guess makes this really fascinating. But at the same time, it's so hard to be able to pinpoint a timeline, pinpoint, you know, a a right way of healing from this. You know, so I really want to, you know, I wanted to kind of bring you in to to really understand your story, what you've been through, um, because I'm fascinated by it you know my own journey has been fascinating in itself but you know I wanted to to talk to you and really kind of find out you know what's what's happened with with you but first and foremost just so people understand like where are you in a world like what and then let's kind of go into your into your story yeah so I'm in a tiny little town called Lacklebish and I live in northern Alberta so northern Canada yeah Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Little town. We have yeah. we have two little street lights. We we are way up north. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. That's incredible. So yeah. how did this how did this come about for you? How long ago was yeah. it that it, it started for you as well? When was your your yeah. your episode? So it's kind of it's kind of crazy. And I think kind of I agree with what you say. It's like everybody's journey is so different. And the crazy part for me is I'm a nurse. And I didn't know that this is what I had. Um, And it's not that we weren't taught about it. It's just one of those things that you hear about in a textbook and you think you're, you're never going to be that person. Mm -hmm. And there's such a broad spectrum that can happen for everybody. And so it literally wasn't until basically the last second that I realized, holy crap, this is, this is serious. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, it was over a period of two and a half years that I suffered with a herniated disc. Um, That's how it started. I feel like that's pretty common for most of us from what I'm hearing is that most of us start out with like this herniated disc, this some kind of back issue. Um, And so for me, I was diagnosed via an MRI. Um, It started out with, I had kind of this tingling sensation, numbness to my right foot. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I love just kind of like telling people because I I do feel like so many people just don't understand like, oh, I might have a back problem, but like you need to be so careful and so like aware, aware Mm -hmm. of, you know what, that back problem can turn into something so much bigger and it needs to like advocate for yourself. And I think me personally being in Canada I think so many people just think oh you know you have like this great healthcare system and that's not that's not the case that's not what happened that's not how it worked for me so 
over two years, I had went to my doctor and went to my doctor and went to my doctor and I kept telling them these symptoms and they kept getting worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, as they got worse, I gained weight. And I right. feel like that's also, you know, I've listened to some of your podcasts and that's also something that comes along with it is that the more that it gets worse, mm-hmm. the more that somebody's mobility or the more that somebody's weight is affected or the more that there's so many factors that come into mm-hmm. Kata Aquina that people don't think of. Mm-hmm. Um And so for me, it started out with this weird foot sensation and then it was directly behind my right knee and it felt Mm -hmm. like there was kind of a ball and they kept saying, oh, you might have a baker cyst. Um, And so then I had an ultrasound. Nope, you don't have a baker cyst. And it got to a point where I had to squat. And so over a period of a year, like I have an older sister and she was just like, what is going on? Like we would go shopping or we would go to the grocery store and I would have to squat down because it was the only thing that took the pressure off. But Mm. what I realized now is that I was squatting and relieving the pressure in my back. Mm. And I was relieving that pressure off the nerves, not off of my (laughs) knees. And so the more that you read into it and the more that you realize, I guess, you know, it's kind of wild. It's, it's kind of wild. Once it happens, you start putting those puzzle pieces together, but while you're living it, you don't, you are just living in that moment. And I was going so downhill that my surgery was on October 16th of 23. So it was just recent. Wow. Um, And it was so rapid in the last few weeks Mm -hmm. that it I have three kids and I had called my husband he works for the oil field Mm -hmm. um and I had called him and I said like you need to come home because something is really wrong um I I couldn't get up and when I I mean like I genuinely I could not get up Mm -hmm. I've never felt pain like this in my life in my entire life I had doctors that just kept telling me like here's some Toradol or here's some this or here's some that here's some gabapentin here like just medication and then when I was finally at my end point um I actually got to the point where my husband came home and he couldn't get me out of bed he it like he couldn't I tried to stand up and it took my breath away it was Mm. that excruciating and I said Mm. to him listen I'm not calling an ambulance until I get myself down the stairs because I was so Mm. terrified Mm. of calling an ambulance and having them cart me down my staircase that was Mm. like my biggest fear in my head and now I hear it and I'm like you should have called because I know now mm. what was happening and then mm. I probably caused more damage, Yeah. but I actually put myself onto the floor and I army crawled with my elbows mm-hmm. um, around my carpet. And then I got myself to the bottom of the stairs and I said to my husband, you have to call an ambulance because I can't move any further. Mm. And when I was admitted to our hospital, they left me there for five days, five days with, with no walks. Pain management is what I was left there with. So this is the Canadian healthcare system that everybody just praises. And yeah. And you're a nurse as well. I'm a nurse and I work at this hospital. And that's the hardest part for me is that I knew that being admitted with a title of pain management, like there was clearly something that was causing me the pain. Mm. And I was being treated as though I was there drug searching. And these people knew me they know that I am not a drug user. They know that I had issues with my back. Like it's heartbreaking for me to think back on. It's heartbreaking that like for five days, I was never once asked, Hey, do you want something to wash up with? Hmm. I had to look at my husband and say like, can you find me a cloth? Can you find me something? Because I was left in a bed 
they would not come and bring me pain medication unless I rang the bell to say yeah. like I am in excruciating pain. I would have to wait to ring like to ring the bell, get my pain meds to actually be able to have that relief to get up and use the washroom mm. because I was in that much pain. Mm. And it was on day five that I finally had just had enough. And it's kind of funny because I think back on it and at this moment is when everything switched mm. and it was me getting angry. And then all of a sudden things started to change my body. And it was like, mm. my body was preparing me. Like it knew. Mm. Um, but I got mad and I said like, why am I still here? And why is there no plan? Why mm. am I laying in this bed? So we live in a very rural community. We mm. live two and a half hours North of Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And so Edmonton, Alberta is like where I knew I needed to go. Yeah. Um, And the nurse was like, you can yell at me all you want, but it's not going to get you anywhere. And I was like, listen, like, I can't lay in this bed. I'm going to die. That's how I felt. I literally felt like I was going to die. I'm 28. I have three kids. I was like, you're going to leave me here and I'm going to die. That's how it felt. I was, I've never felt pain like this. I couldn't move. Like it was enough for me to get out of bed, get to the bathroom and come back. I wasn't eating because I was in so much pain that I just wasn't hungry. Um, And they looked at me and said, we think that you're constipated. And I know that's probably too much info, but that is the reality of this scenario, right? Is that these people, Mm. they don't get it and they don't understand. And we have trained professionals that they don't even know what this is or what's happening. And so they gave me three different forms of laxative, which I then learned was like extremely dangerous being with what the condition was yeah. and the, the nurse that seen me after I had my surgery was like, absolutely not. Like that should have never happened unless mm. they confirm that mm. that's actually what was going on. Mm. Um, and when they did that, I was like, listen, I think I need to pee. The mm. nurse came in. She was like, you're not my patient, but I'm going to give you a bedpan. And I was like, that sounds really funny considering my lower back is really bothering me, but all right. And so they slid this bedpan under me. And I was like, I looked at my husband and I said, I I can't pee. And he was like, what do you mean you can't pee? And I was like, I can't pee. And he was like, okay. So we waited. This nurse came in, the head nurse for the evening. She said, I'm going to get you a walker and I'm going to get you up. Tried to go to the washroom and I said, I can't pee. So they bladder scanned me. And anybody who's familiar with our story Mm. knows that that's that's the turning point. And yeah. At that moment, I realized that I was numb. And Mm. for me, that was the most terrifying moment Mm. because I was left in a bed for 12 hours after that. I had a physician, my family physician, that came in and said, yep, I agree. I think you're constipated. And I think that you are just going to take these medications, like this medication, and we'll see how you're feeling in the morning. And I was like, I am numb. When they bladder scanned me, I had 920 mils of urine in my bladder. Jesus. Mils. And so they did an in and out catheter. And I was like, there is something wrong with this scenario. And you know what? As a nurse, I know that there is something wrong with this scenario. Yeah. Um, I'm in excruciating pain. You are giving me morphine drips. You are giving me dilated to I am numb. I can mm. stand up and walk. I am not in pain. And I can't pee. Mm. and I remember looking at my husband and my biggest fear was I am now numb Mm. and you spilled me full of laxative and I panicked I had like full 
fear. And he was like, that can't be your biggest fear right now. And I was like, it is my biggest fear because what is going to happen? It's just like, that can't be your biggest fear. Like you are numb. And I'm like, that is absolutely my biggest fear. Mm. That is my biggest fear. And he was just like, no. And the next morning at 6am, it was, it's wild because it was my old family physician that delivered my son, but he doesn't actually live here anymore. He Mm -hmm. just does locums. And he had came in and he looked at me and he was like, why are you here? Mm what is going on and so he had asked if he could check rectal tone which Mm -hmm. I at that point I think I was just so tired and so kind of like what is going on that I was like I I guess so (laughs) like sure what does that have to do with whatever yeah whatever Yeah. yeah and so as soon as he did I was like I'm numb I don't feel anything. I can't do anything. Like, oh my God. And he looked at the nurse and he said, you need to call. We have something called rapid. And he said, Mm -hmm. you need to get an ambulance here now. Mm -hmm. She needs to be in Edmonton. She should have been in Edmonton 12 hours ago. Mm -hmm. And again, at that point, I didn't know the 24 hour rule. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what they were suspecting. I was just kind of just like, I knew something was wrong. Mm -hmm. I knew from the look on his face, like I have worked with him. I have being in his care I knew something was wrong mm. I didn't know what and I looked at my husband I said I want a shower there's people coming to get me I don't know what's going to happen but I know that I'm not in pain right now I want to shower while I can mm-hmm. I got up I showered and I forced myself to just sit on the toilet because I was like my biggest fear was that I was going to <laughs> just gonna... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I think that's, you know, now that I've read more people's story is that that is a reality is that mm. most people do. Most people mm-hmm. don't have that control of their bowels or their bladder or, or anything. And mine was kind of the opposite is that I had that retention. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was very quick from that moment, I got put into an ambulance and transferred to the city. Um, and when I say the city, I mean, Edmonton, we just, we always refer to it as the city from here. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. And so I was transferred to the university hospital, which is Mm -hmm. a huge hospital. And I then sat in an area called ICT, which Mm -hmm. again, as the nurse, I had never heard of because we are rural. So our hospital is tiny. We work our emergency with one registered nurse, one LPN and a doctor. And that is it. Whereas they were announcing 10 hour wait times. And I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, so I was basically put into a bed in a hallway. Oh, wow. Um, my catheter had broke loose and I was covered and didn't know that I had been covered in my own urine. Oh, for wow. And nobody, when I had mentioned it, when I had figured it out, the nurse was like, you need to wait. I'll be with you in a moment. And I was like, no, I am covered in my own urine. You guys are mm. not leaving me in this hallway bed. Mm covered in pee it was basically disconnected from the bag and just like I might as well be peeing on myself Mm. and I was like this is unbelievable like I remember just crying and looking at my husband and being so tired and just being like I haven't seen my kids in a week Mm. I don't know what's happening and now I am just absolutely covered in my own pee Mm. and you're gonna just leave me here Mm. like no so I got up and I changed myself. I got my husband to get a warm cloth. And mm-hmm. literally that's how I was like, you're going to potentially send me for surgery and I'm going to be covered in pee. Like, tell me <laughs> yeah. how- like disgusting. And so, yeah, I was 
I was floored. And just there's so many people. And then they finally, it was about nine hours of laying in a bed there with no food, no water, no anything. You're completely mm. NPO. Like you yeah. can't have anything. My husband slept in a chair. Um, and they finally got me in for an MRI. And I don't know why I reacted to the MRI because I've had multiple of them before with knowing that I had an L5-S1 herniation. But I reacted and it made me so nauseous. And I Mm -hmm. don't know if it was like anxiety or what happened, but I have Mm -hmm. never felt so ill in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is when they confirmed, they actually showed it to me. And so there was like, you could see the hole where your spinal cord should go and Mm -hmm. they couldn't see mine they Mm -hmm. it was gone Mm. um and so when this they finally moved me into an er bed there and the surgeon that seen me had came in and he said the only reason that i'm here is because you're 28 and you're a mom of three but today isn't my day to work and i i was like okay and he said because you are numb we classify this as something called non-cauda equina so he said, you should have had surgery while you were still in pain. So for the five days that I was in the hospital in our mm-hmm. town is when they would have liked me to have the surgery. Right. And then of course, there's the 24 hour rule. So when mm-hmm. you go, they want that surgery done within the 24 hours. And I mm-hmm. was left 36 before I had surgery. Wow. And because of where my herniation was, he described that when they went to pull the disc out, he said, if we pull this disc and it's attached to the dura Mm -hmm. which he described to my husband was like as thin as a layer of skin on an onion he said Mm -hmm. if i pull that your spinal fluid is going to leak out Mm -hmm. if that happens it could be days of you laying to try and recover Mm -hmm. um and i just i was like oh my god and then there's you know there's the risk of bleeds and i'm overweight because i've put on a lot of weight while waiting for this surgery right um so the only thing that i really had going for me was that i was young and that i don't smoke or mm-hmm. vape or do drugs mm-hmm. and so the chance that he gave me was a 5% chance and when i he he literally the words out of his mouth were if you were my sister i would tell you to go home and wait and see if you recover And he gave me 15 minutes to decide if I was going to do the surgery or not. And so I called my mom and I called my sister. My mom doesn't live here. She lives in British Columbia. Mm -hmm. And my mom and my sister, they both gave me the same answer. And they said, we can't make that decision because if something goes wrong, we don't want to carry that with us, Mm -hmm. which I understood. I wouldn't want to carry that with me either, but Mm -hmm. it was also probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever made. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've had many surgeries. Like I had, I've had three C-sections, one of which was a vertical C-section wow. and that was horrendous. Mm. This was by far the, the scariest surgery I've ever been faced with and just being mm-hmm. so close to your spinal cord, to your spinal mm. fluid, to all of those nerves. Mm. Um, and then of course being a nurse and knowing what they're doing and mm. knowing what's happening when they put yeah. you to sleep and all <laughs> yeah. of those things, right? Mm. And so, yeah, and then knowing the fears that came with it of, am I ever going to regain bladder control? Am I ever going to have control of my bowels again? Um, There's the questions of sexual dysfunction. There's Uh 
all of this topic that people don't want to talk about when it comes oh. to that. And these surgeons don't talk to you about it either. They just oh. give you the ins and outs and they walk away. And that was my experience. Oh. Um, and the craziest part was my catheter that was leaking. I stood mm-hmm. up to call my sister and I, I wanted to know if I was still in pain. And when I stood up, I could feel like what felt like a baseball in my spine. It wasn't painful, mm. but I could feel this pressure. Mm. And that was like my sign that I needed to go for the surgery because I mm. said to my husband, if I don't go, this pressure is never going to go away. Mm. And am I just going to walk around with a catheter for the rest of my life? Mm. Am I never going to know what happens when I need to use the bat? Like, what are these answers? Nobody's ever going to give them to me. Mm-hmm. So I have to go. Mm. It's either 5% or it's 0%. And that's how I looked at it. Mm. And when I stood up, my catheter started to leak. Right. And I said, I have to go find a nurse. And he was like, okay, yeah. So he went and he found a nurse. And when she came back, I was just, I was beside myself. Like I, I honestly didn't know what was happening or what to do or what to decide. And I said to her, like, I need professional advice. Like I'm a nurse, but you only get, you know, maybe a page, two pages of learning about this kind of stuff. And unless you're in a facility where you're face to face with it constantly, Mm -hmm. like you don't know. Mm -hmm. And I said, I've been diagnosed with something called cauda equina and I'm just, and she looked at me, she's like, it's okay. I've been there. I've done that. And she turned around and she lifted her shirt and she had the scar. And I was just like, wow, what are the chances of that? What? And she was like, you're going to be okay everything's going to be okay. And you're going to go for the surgery. And you know what? It's going to be fine. And if you have to wear a leg bag for six months, then you have to wear a leg bag for six months. And she said, there's something called a sacral nerve stimulator. Look, you can feel mine. And I was just like, oh my God, like, what are the chances? I still get chills thinking about it, but she ended up ending. She ended the conversation by handing me a note And it had her Facebook information on it and it had a essential oil roller and she came in and she like rolled it on my wrists and she was like, you're going to be okay. Mm. And everything's going to be fine. And we're all in this together. And she's like, if you ever have questions, I'm here to walk you through it. Mm. And I was just like, what are the chances that somebody like you just like my husband just asked for a random nurse. There's Mm. hundreds of them walking through this ER Mm. right now. He Mm. just chose out of everybody. And it's crazy because I can look in the mirror now and I have the identical scar that she showed me. Mm. But I mean, like at that, in that very moment, I was just, I was honestly terrified. Like I did mm. not know what my life was going to look like on this side of things. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if I was going to be on this side of things. Like yeah. that is how it feels. And I'm sure that, you know, if you've been through it, you, mm. you know, that feeling is just like, what is going to happen? And yeah, it was, it was wild. And so mm. I went back for my surgery and um I came out and I did you know my night of recovery was a little bit rough whatever and then the following day they came in and they were like we're gonna take out your catheter and I was like right now (laughs) it's been 12 hours but okay and I was up I was walking and I was able to use the washroom on my own Mm -hmm. and I have never had bladder retention I have never had bowel retention I have never had those things I still have saddle anesthesia in some Mm -hmm. areas I still have weird nerve sensations down my right leg. Mm-hmm. I have foot drop to my right foot. Um, mm-hmm. So it caused me to limp a little bit. And then I had a 
little bit of a setback after two weeks. I had mm-hmm. a disc that decided to herniate out just a little bit. They think it'll mm-hmm. reabsorb, mm-hmm. Um, but it's causing just a little bit of pain to my left side now. Right. So um, just like healthy eating and then just like the freedom that you feel on this side of things. Like I didn't realize how limited I was and how slowly that progressed. Mm-hmm. Now being on this side, I'm like, I can do things again and mm-hmm. I can get up and move and I'm not in bed depressed. I'm mm-hmm. not, you know, I wake up in the morning and I make sure I eat my breakfast and I, you know, drink my orange juice and I make mm-hmm. sure that I go my walk and walking is probably the hardest part for me. I'm just exhausted afterwards. I think because mm-hmm. of the, but I think for anybody that's like going through it, I guess we're all, we're all individual for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always another side to it. And mm-hmm. so if somebody would have told me that, you know, three months ago, I don't think that I would have ever believed them mm-hmm. that like, this is where I would be now. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Crazy, isn't it? How, how this journey pans out and, you know, with what you said there, I'm kind of just really listening in, intently and all that. I'm just gobsmacked by, I mean, you're in Canada, I'm in the UK and I mean, I was shocked by, you know, how the, you know, the, the, um, we call it the national health system here, how yeah. that works, the NHS. And don't get me wrong, like the nurses were incredible. You know, the doctors, they're like politicians, you know, they just, Absolutely. they just yeah. gerbil stuff. They never give you a straight answer. They just waffle. And the physio team, they turn up when they can, you know, yeah. but when they do, they, they did a, a, a good job, but it was hard i think you know and and from what you're saying there as well one of the things that i i'm i'm discovering is there's no clear pathway to to this you know i you know i got refused an ambulance turned up in my house because you were talking about the pain and i went there with you because it's one of these things that nobody understands how painful it is and and can you just answer this for me? Cause I'm never going to be able to experience this, but obviously being a woman and going through this, you know, like how close is that to, to, I guess, even giving birth to coming or like going through, is it sort of, I, quite, cause I, I try rather. to explain it to, yeah. Cause I try to I explain would rather, it to I would people. rather the three C-sections because you know what, at the end of the day, I knew that one, I knew I got to have a cute little baby when yeah. I was done. And two, I knew that at the end of the day that that pain was for a reason and that it was going away. This pain didn't go away ever. It was like a never ending cycle. And I, with my first baby, I had contractions. I had all the things I went through labor and then ended up in a C-section. I would do that a hundred times over Yeah. because at least I got a break. Yeah. I never got a break from this. And it was like so mentally exhausting, even Mm in those days before I had to call an ambulance, even in those in the year before when I would go to go shopping and I would have to take those breaks. And it was just like, why, why is this my life? And why is nobody listening to me? Why is it that I can tell somebody this is what's happening and that they just want to hand me a bottle of medication. And I keep telling them that this medication isn't working And it's like, here's a different bottle of medication. And I'm, I kept saying to the doctors, like, this isn't working. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to keep trying medication. Mm-hmm. I don't, it's, it wasn't, it was so exhausting to just not be able to live your life, to try and cook dinner, 
and have to sit down and take a break to try and play with your kids and not be able to do what they wanted to do like I just Mm -hmm. now being on like I still I still have to take a break but it's different like my Mm -hmm. mind is so much more clear Mm -hmm. and I don't feel I feel like somebody will listen to me because at least I can say to them like listen I had Mm -hmm. caught Aquina this is why Mm -hmm. whereas it should have never had to get to that Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what the surgeon said is they knew you've Mm -hmm. had multiple MRIs they knew that you had this there's no reason there's no reason that I was left in a hospital bed for five days there's no reason that I walked around in this amount of pain for two years there's no reason that there's people suffering and the wild thing is is that my mom she works for a private healthcare clinic in Mm -hmm. British Columbia Mm -hmm. and a older male came in um last week and my mom texted me and she said this man has caught equina and I was like, there's no way. And she said, they're they're getting an ambulance here right now. He has no feel like no feeling to his groin. Mm. He was unable to walk. And my mom said, had you not had it and brought light to the situation, like I would have never known. Mm. And when he came in, they they were given these things called smile cards, and they were just they were twenty dollar gift cards. And mm. the doctors that she works for are absolutely amazing. But they just said, here's one for you. And here's one. When you see somebody that needs it, we want you to give it out. And my mom said she's been holding on to it for months. And this man came in and was just like absolutely beside himself. And she waited until she put him into a room and she brought it to him. And she's like, I couldn't as like an MOA. She couldn't tell him I know what's going on. Uh But she said, I hope that your days get brighter. This is for you Uh and brought it to him. And she called me last night to tell me that he had called and she was like, I am not supposed to tell you that I know who you are, but I know what you're going through because my daughter just went through it. Mm. And he was like, I have no answers. And this just continues. And I said, that's the part of this that nobody gets because Mm. it should be so much more known. Mm. And like, even the fact that my doctor didn't know what it was like how as a physician, I just don't understand. Mm. Like I know as a nurse that these MRIs come back and they're read by somebody else. Yeah. That info is on there. It's Mm. not read by a physician. Mm. And I'm just like, how, how do you just leave somebody? It doesn't matter how old I am. It doesn't matter if I have three kids at home. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It Mm. does. You just leave somebody. It it's mind boggling to me. But this is the thing that, and it's exactly that it's mind-boggling what i can't get my head around is you know and you're in canada you're in canada i'm in the uk and i've heard it from people in i was talking to someone in the us who was in africa and um got diagnosed with with called requina and she got better better health care in africa than she did when she came back to the us she said it was terrible yeah, and... I, I work with a lady who is from South Africa mm-hmm. and she said to me, she said, if you would have ended up with something like this in our country, it would have mm-hmm. been dealt with immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Immediately, because you're not waiting on people. You're not waiting on a healthcare system mm-hmm. that it's just the way that they that they work. Yeah. Which is and unbelievable. I, yeah, and I guess one of the things I am very grateful for is 
I'm quite lucky, I guess, where I am, where I'm based, because I'm in a bit of a, a rural area in, in the UK. I'm not too far from London. I'm about 40 minutes on, on a train, but, you know, I'm kind of just out. I like to be in the countryside. And our hospital isn't very far from here either. It's like 10 minutes in a car. Um, but by the time I got there, so the this was on a Monday, on a Friday, this is in September, the Friday before, the ambulance refused to take me. And I didn't even know what called, who knows what called a recliner is. I heard it on the phone because when you were talking about the pain, I was going in that journey with you. I, so where I'm in the bedroom at the moment, I was on the floor, literally wailing, wailing that my wife didn't know what to do. She took the, the, the children in the living room so they couldn't hear me. And I, she came back in and I said to her, baby, I'm in so much pain. She's like, what can I do? And I said, call a fucking ambulance because yeah. I feel like I'm going to pass out. Yeah. And I was, and yeah. And I, and I turned around and said to her, I said, I, there is no position I could get into. Eventually I went into the fetal position because it was the only position that took the pressure off the back. And, um, and when she then got through to the emergency services, when the lady who was on the phone started going, hang on, this sounds like called a requiner. You know, has anyone spoken to you about it? We were like, you're the first person I've spoken to. Um, <clears throat> but for me, it was very much the same. It started out as back pain. I've had back pain for a while. And I went to see a chiropractor. Yeah. They did a scan and, you know, they scanned the spine. They scanned the nerve. They didn't say anything to me, although they told me my disc was herniated. And that's something that's being looked at. You know, there were a number of things, but they worked on me for two months, three months. And yeah. the situation just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And then that's when, you know, I started to get the numbness and stuff. But by the time I had my MRI scan, my I had a drop foot on my right. My leg okay. had gone numb. I'd lost feeling in my in my groin. And it, when you're talking about, I was, so basically the hospital, I mean, they don't really, they're not specialists. They're just a normal standard kind of hospital. Yeah. So I was being blue lighted to another hospital, uh, which is about an hour, 45 minutes, an hour away um, called Aidenbrooks. And they're specialists in that area. And thank God I was in the catchment for that hospital. And, um, and just as they were about to, the ambulance were about to take me same as you i was like i really need to go to the toilet and they gave me this little this little bottle with like a little tube and i'm like trying to pee into this thing i was like nothing's coming out and all of a sudden i said to the lady look nothing's happening i think there's a little dribble in there i'm talking to my wife next thing you know i look down and i am covered just covered in 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 we and as you as you've experienced it's frightening to have never experienced something like that, to all yeah. of a sudden just look down, and I'm like, I've just, I've completely wet myself. Yeah. Um, but thank God here, the MRI scan came back, and and they were like, right, we're shipping you straight away, you know. And and that was one of the lucky because again, um, here for some reason is 48 hours. So once you once you get the, you know, the numbness on the groin, for some reason I was still okay. Uh, kind of around the bow area but by the time i got to the other hospital they did the uh good old finger test yeah and i turned around because they were debating whether to operate on me that evening or the next day and they did the finger test and i turned to the to the doctor and said i can't even 
I said, I didn't even know you were up there. Like, I can't feel anything. She's like, right, we're taking you up now. Immediately. Um, yeah, immediately. And thank God as well, because, um, but this is the thing when I'm speaking to people, um, this is the bit where I'm confused or I'm unsure of, because when I woke up, I'm thinking, well, we kind of caught it in that 24, 48 hour mark, because by the time I got to the hospital, then my, my, my bowel went numb um, and they operated straight away. But when I woke up, I was, I was paralyzed, literally like bowel bladder gone. The only thing that was working was my quads, but the back of my legs and both my feet were completely numb. Everything was completely numb. I couldn't literally couldn't stand, couldn't walk. And two days before that, I'm walking with my kids. I'm playing around and everything is good. But I was feeling that numbness on my right foot and the left one was just starting but the the question is, you know, was if they had taken me on a Friday, would things have been different? Um, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm up and about now. Like I have to wear a splint because my I still have um, drop foot on both. But I, I went from having to go on a frame to now I'm on crutches. So I'm getting stronger every day. But um, yeah, still... Yeah. And so what I was told on my end is that it can take up to two years for all these mm. nerves to heal. Yeah. And I haven't even got into our rehabilitation center yet. So I don't have the splints on my feet, which is something I would just, I would love. Um, mm. They had told me to swim. So I went swimming and I absolutely hated it. 10 out of 10 <laughs> don't recommend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a fan. <laughs> yeah. 10 out of 10 do not recommend when you get out uh, the pressure that's on your spine when you get out of the pool was horrendous for me right. just like the the pain the not even so much pain I don't even know how to describe it but it just feels like your whole back is just compressing right back down again mm -hmm. felt great while I was in the water and when I got out I was like I never want to do that ever again <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah um uh, but yeah, I haven't even gotten into our rehabilitation center yet, but I, I assume that I will need some splints on my right foot um, mm. just because they've told me to walk and I do. I walk every day um, just down our little road here and back, mm. but the drop foot is, it's brutal. It gets worse the further that I go. And then mm -hmm. by the time I get home, I'm fully limping. Yeah. Um, and then I'm exhausted, like just absolutely exhausted by the time that I get home. But yeah, it's, it's absolutely wild how different it is for everybody. And that was kind of what I had read. And I feel so blessed that I woke up and I guess recovered or mm. had the function that I did mm -hmm. um, because so many people don't. And I remember coming home and they had told me like, where, where depends because you never know, like, you, you know, you might have bowel accidents or you might have bladder accidents. And for me, it was mortifying. I remember that being the hardest part for me was like, I am 28. <laughs> like My husband yeah. is going to walk into this room and I'm going to be in a fucking depends. And <laughs> like, this can't be real. And I remember genuinely thinking that and just being like this, this can't be real. That mm -hmm. was how it felt was like, why me? Mm -hmm. And just you know, and there's so many people that I think they don't understand the reality. Um, mm. And I remember my mom just, you know, the nurse had looked at me and she said, you are going to go through so many emotions and you can't take these emotions out on the people around you because they're here to help you, but they don't know what you're going through. No. And I went to my sister's house for about 
10 days um, shortly after I had surgery. And I remember feeling just defeated and thinking like, how do I, as a woman, as a wife, as a mom, like, how am I going to go out in public if I have to wear depends? How am I going to have to go out in public if my husband is no longer attracted to me? How am I going to do all of these things? And I think like the mental toll that it brought on at first, like I'm okay now and I don't have to wear depends. Thank goodness. But like all of these things that people just, you know, there's so much more that people Mm. will look at you and say, Oh, like, I'm so happy that I got that so often was like, I'm so happy to see you walking or I'm so happy to see you this, or I'm so, you know, at least you can walk. I would get that. At least mm. you can walk. And it was like, absolutely, at least I can walk. But mm. you have no idea the storm that I am going through in my head right now. Mm. And I think that on its own is so much more, too, that mm. if there's anybody out there that's trying to support somebody with Kata Aquina, the mental toll that it brings is so much bigger too. Mm. Um, for me, as I guess it doesn't matter to me, it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter any of those things. Like it doesn't matter if I was 40 or if I'm 28, but being that I am 28 and I have three kids and I have a husband, mm. one of the hardest things that I struggled with was the saddle anesthesia and mm. like what that means for me and my sex life and all of those things, the things that people mm. are that are taboo and people don't want to talk about. Yeah. Right. Because mm. it is, it's taboo. And it's like, I had mentioned it to my surgeon and he was just like, Oh yeah. You know, in six months, if it, if that's still an issue, you can go see urology. And I'm like, are you making this referral or like, who's making yeah. this referral? Because yeah. I can't get into a doctor. So you're discharging me. And six months down, like I'm supposed to go through this for six months. Mm. Right. But, you know, and then I have this, I have a husband who also has questions and he's just like, how do I help you? Or how do I, you know, cause he's very caring and very understanding, but he mm. also just doesn't know how to help me in the same sense. And it's like, I don't know how to help me. I don't mm. know how, I don't, I don't have the answers. There's, I feel like nobody does at this point. Mm. Nobody has the answers for mm. me. And that's, I think, another one of these hard obstacles that we all mm. go through. Yeah. It is one of these things emotionally. It's, it's such a, not just emotionally, I think mentally, physically, yeah. it's such a lonely journey because I said to, to to my wife, she was very much the same. We've got such a beautiful relationship. And she was saying to me, like, what can I do to help you? And I said, just, just be there. I just yeah. need love. I think that's the yeah. only thing really. I was like, let's just stay in love. Do you know what I mean? Let's just kind of talk as much as we can. I'll be as open and honest and, as, and vulnerable as as I can because I'm going to need that because there'll be, you know, I'm naturally a very positive, outgoing, you know, person. Yeah. And with kind of what I do anyway, like I understand I specialize in mental health and addiction. I'm a coach, you know, so I know a lot of things. But when you're in this situation, yeah. you're put to the test in like, ah, so you're an expert, are you? Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. And, yeah. Right? So I went man this is tough and it's tough because you know as as much as 
you know, and this is the other thing um, as well is like, there's no timeline in this, you know, it's not like somebody's going to turn around and say to you, you know, they, they, they generally say, well, you know, for your nerves to grow and for things to kind of come back, you know, it can take up to two years. Some people can be a bit more, you know, something, and I've heard, I've seen it in, in the group that we're part of. Some people have been years, you know, yeah. some people have been years and years and, you know, and, and some people have been left completely paralyzed, you know, from the waist down and, yeah. you know, everybody's is so, so different. So, you know, it, it is, it is tough, you know, and, and I found it tough when I, you know, at the beginning of the journey, because I, I, I guess maybe how long were you in hospital for? Were you discharged quite quickly one day. or one, one day. day, one day? Wow. Yeah. And then they sent me home and it was terrifying. It was terrifying. Um, so no physio, no like specialist no, to come in. Like still, that's the part. Like the physio came and seen me. They were like, "Let's go for a walk." And because I could walk, they walked with me. They asked me to do three stairs. They had this little mm. set of stairs. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Up them and down them because I have stairs in my home, which are still the hardest part for me. Like I mm. struggle getting up them. Mm. Um, and of course, my bedroom's at the very top of them. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, our shower and our bathroom, all the things is up here. Yeah. Um, and they discharged me and yeah. And so it was, it was the hardest part. And there's so many questions. And again, like you just, you have no answers. You're just sent home. And so I was, I was just kind of like, you're in, you're out. Like they, they need that bed for somebody else. Mm. And I was just like, all right, I guess we're winging it. Right. Like mm. you don't know. And that's why I ended up joining the support group that we are in because I was just like, you know what, if anybody's going to have some answers, I knew that there was going to be some negativity that comes along with support groups I think that there always is Mm. Um, but I knew that I needed some more answers that I wasn't getting anywhere else Mm. yeah and this is the thing that um you know it's it can be quite frustrating you know in in this situation I guess in some ways I was quite lucky that I couldn't walk and where I live same as you there's stairs so yeah. for me, the the uh, consultant, and it wasn't even a guy that did the surgery. He was the guy that signed off for me to, to to come to that hospital. He comes over, stands at the end of my bed in the morning, and he's like, how are you feeling? And to be honest, the first thing I noticed is I was not in pain. Because as you know, yes, the pain absolutely. leading up to it, oh, my God, it's excruciating. Yeah. So waking up, I was like, oh my God, I'm not in pain. I was like, oh, is this just the anesthesia? Or, you know, but the thing is, I realized there was no pain down my legs, you know, and there was no pain on my back. So I was thinking, oh, thank God for this. You know, at least that's something. And then yeah. I literally looked down. I tried to kind of wiggle my toes and move my feet. I was like, I can't, I can't move. I can't move. You know, can't move. So he stood at the end of my bed and he says to me, I said, so how are you feeling? Usual, blah, 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 conversation. He goes, right. So you should be home by, this is on Wednesday. He says, you should be home by Friday. And I'm listening to him, looking at him going, what are you on about? So he's waffling on as they do. And I said, okay. I said, well, how long is it going to be? Because my feet aren't moving. I can't move my toes. I can't move my feet. And I try to move my legs and my legs are like floppy. They're just jelly. So how am I going to go home? Because I need to do stairs. And he's like, don't worry, you know, it, it will take like two weeks, you know, you'll be back to normal, you know, in like four weeks, four to five weeks, you'll be driving. 
I'm getting excited by this point because he's the consultant. The guy's the expert. So I'm thinking, like absolutely perfect. wow, Great. this is perfect. Yeah, this is amazing. So I said, well, what about going to the gym? Like, when can I go to the gym? Because I want to make sure that this doesn't happen to me again. He went eight to 12 weeks. Eight to 12 weeks should be fine. This is my ninth week now. Today's my ninth week that I've been hosting. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I haven't set foot in a gym. Not going I'm, to the gym. I'm not going anywhere near a gym just yet. <laughs> I'm getting physio. That's as far as it goes. And I had conversations with him because I ended up staying in hospital for five weeks. Oh, my goodness. And every time he comes in, he's like, I can't believe you're still here. And he caught me on a bad day because I was fuming. I was really angry that they had lied to me about a load of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. They saying to me that I was going to go and have this physio and I was being moved to another ward and so on and so forth. And this is the 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 frustration sometimes with with the uh, medical staff is there is no clear plan and the the worst of it. And I'd love to get your opinion. My experience around this is, as I said, nurses amazing. You know, physio when they turned up, they were good. Especially with somebody <laughs> like me, because I'm one of these people where I turn around and said to them, "Don't waste my fucking time." I don't yeah. have the luxury of just waiting in the bed. Give me stuff for me to do and I'll do them. But don't just come here and say, oh, you know, this is how it is. Let's do bits and pieces. I literally wrote a ton of stuff down and I then just kept doing. So then when they came, we just then progressed. But um, the doctor, exactly the same, just kept waffling and mumbling and just giving me all this garbage. And in the end, I just, I lost, just completely lost my temper because I nothing was really really happening and the worst of it is none of them communicate with each other they're supposed to be like a whole team but yeah. nobody talks to each other no one takes accountability is that kind of like the same with you because I had to bang the table and scream and shout because they wanted to keep sending me home and I said to them who's going to look after me because you're not sending me home until I can do stairs you're not sending me home to be left here for weeks and months on end without any form of care Absolutely. like what's going on how did that kind of work out for you? Because as you said, you were there for a day. Did they give you a plan? Was there something to do with physio? Is it different? They, no. And so that's like, I'm seven weeks today. Mm -hmm. So seven weeks today for me. And I haven't had any physio, none. Nobody has contacted me. They're supposed to contact me. Nobody's contacted me. Um, So no plan in that action. Um, And as far as them giving me a plan, like there was no plan. I had to call and make my own uh, follow-up appointments, all of that kind of stuff. And then when you call, it was, we only book appointments 10 days in advance, all of this kind of stuff. Um, But same kind of thing. Like they would come in. And so our rooms were three people to a room, which was absolutely, it was, Mm. it was a gong show. It was a gong show. And (laughs) you'd have these you'd have these meetings and I guess that's where it's a little bit different is because everybody would come in at one time and it was so overwhelming for me. You'd have a nurse, a dietitian, a doctor, a physiotherapist, all of these people, you'd have all of them. I probably have no word of lie, eight, 10 people standing at the end of my bed. And then my family who's there, like my husband, my sister, my mom, they were all there with me and they're all trying to give me this plan. And I'm like, one at a time, <laughs> like, mm. one at a time, because I've already had a lot to take in. And mm. now you're all giving me this huge array 
Hmm. of things that needs to happen or that you want to happen. Um, And it got confusing. And I remember coming home and one of the big things that we were told was the pharmacist had said to me, like, we're going to put you on this or we're going to put you on that. And I remember them talking to me again about we don't want you to have they didn't they they talked to you about your bowel routine and all of these things because I had control of my bowels but at first it was just it was finicky it was like Mm -hmm. when I had to go I had to go kind of thing Mm. so she said like we don't want you to have diarrhea because obviously that's an issue and Mm. because you have that saddle anesthesia you have that risk for skin breakdown too and so that's what she said is like you're not going to be able to tell if you're wet you're not going to be able to tell if you like you have to just they had told me like bring wet wipes home bring all of this stuff home um and then there was the cross feud of we also don't want you to be constipated because if you're constipated they had explained to me that it can cause urine retention which Mm -hmm. i didn't know so she said like basically moving forward for our lifetimes is that with cauda equina patients you do not want to live your life with any sort of constipation so she was like this is what you need to do and then she was talking to me about all this kind of stuff about when you have an s1 injury she was like we don't ever want you to use suppositories or enemas or this kind of stuff and so then when i got home i was like okay i remember hearing this and my husband's like but why Mm. and i'm like i don't know to be honest with you and as a nurse we're trained to know the why and to explain Mm. the why so that people know. So, you know, it was one of those things that like you start Googling it because who else are you going to ask? Right. Mm. And there's nothing, there is literally no Mm. evidence. Mm. And I'm like, what the heck? So then I asked our pharmacist in town and he's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know why that would be a rule. And I'm like, Mm. strange, like, but I remember hearing it. And so it's one of those things where you had, like, for me, it was almost different. I had everybody there at one time and all of this information given to me. And now I'm like, I don't even know half of what I was told like Mm, yeah you know I probably am missing half of the information that I'm supposed to know Mm. and then sent home the next day Jesus and did they so how is it kind of how are things kind of working for you now kind of like bow and bladder uh, have things kind of come back to, to to normal are you still yeah so everything in that situation is like I would say pretty normal like I can tell when I need to use the washroom so that's mm-hmm. a good thing um there's just like the the nerve sensation in my groin area in general and down the backs of my legs my right one specifically because my right side is what was affected mm-hmm. the nerve sensation still drives me absolutely mental like mm-hmm. just even drying off with a towel just makes me cringe and i've been told that that can go away i've heard from some people like some people will stay on gabapentin but i really don't I'm trying to avoid having to go back onto gabapentin. Mm-hmm. Um, the nerve sensation is still off. Like it's mm-hmm. still not completely better. Um, mm-hmm. As far as like the actual function of bowel and bladder, I would say, I would say they're pretty normal, my mm-hmm. new normal, but normal. Like mm-hmm. I don't have retention and I don't have incontinence. So I would mm-hmm. say like, I'm lucky in those senses. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of people that have the incontinence or the the retention. And you know what? At least, like, at first, at first, there definitely was 
some weird things happening where I was like, please, dear God, don't let this be my normal. <laughs> yeah. right? like, I hope that if somebody's listening that like, that it gives them a little bit of hope that things can change. Like, yeah. it's not always going to be that way. Cause I think that's how I felt was like, I hope it's not like this forever. Yeah. 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 And that's, and that's what can be quite scary, isn't it? Because, because everybody's journey is so different. It's yeah. so hard to understand you know, when am I going to be able to walk? You know, when is this going to happen? When is that going to happen? And I think it, it can be quite easy, especially when you are in these, you know, in these groups as well, that, yeah. um, you know, some people, you know, like yourself, who who's very open, you know, who who's had a tough, you know, um, experience, but, you know, you seem to be dealing with, dealing with it in a positive way and, you know, and you want to get a, a positive outcome out of this. But yeah. I have noticed that, you know, there are some people who, you know, who who don't have a great experience and they do go the other way, which is completely understandable, yeah. you know, and it affects them in, in, a, in a really, really negative way. And also, uh, you know, I've seen with people who who have been in pain and are still in pain, um, which is. I, I remember something like for me that was just wild. And I think that. I think a lot of people can probably relate to and I think you absolutely are going to relate to this just being that you said you deal with a lot of like mental health and addiction, but um, I've never dealt with addiction in my life, thankfully. Um, but I do have family that have dealt with addiction, but I remember them giving me Dilaudid when I left the hospital and they gave it to me in a fairly big bottle. And they had mm. said to me like, yeah, take this for 10 days, 10 to 15 days. And then we want you to come off of it. And as a nurse, I know how addictive it is, mm. the labeling on the bottle, you know, all the things. And I looked at my husband and I was like, no, mm. <laughs> absolutely not. No. Mm. And I was like, you take that back. Like, I will just yeah. take Tylenol or whatever, or I'll take something else, but I am not taking that. Mm. And that's the other thing is like when you've been in pain for so long mm. and when you're something like this can affect your mental health so strongly, like I can't imagine how many people would turn. And yeah. I had I remember saying to my husband, like, I wouldn't blame a soul. No. I wouldn't blame anybody because like it genuinely is the hardest thing I've ever went through. Mm. Like to know what your body is capable of and not be able to do it. Yes. Yeah. And so like I do remember having that conversation with him, being like, I wouldn't blame a a single person if addiction was something that came from this mm. because it is so mentally exhausting like it's oh. just such a fuck of like when or yeah. how or like yeah. why me mm. why did this happen to me like you mm. know there's people that live their lives with herniated discs mm. and it never happens to them mm. and then there's like people that just have to suffer and like I said mm. I had a setback after two weeks I spent an entire night in the ER in an ER cot mm -hmm. to get another MRI and I was like can I just go and sleep in a hotel and come back for the MRI nope if you leave you give up your spot for the MRI in the morning and I was oh. just like you've got to be kidding me you've got to be kidding me like and this is what our journey is going to be like because every time that there's a little bit of a down that's mm. where we're going to be right mm. It's so unreal. What, what was your what was your setback? What happened? Um, so I started like um getting 
numb, kind of similar, but not as uh, severe. So like numbness, mm. tingling and pain to my left side. Mm. And it was absolute panic. I was like, please, no, please, mm. no, don't mm. make me go through this again. <laughs> it happened to me as well. <laughs> Two weeks in. Yeah, that's interesting. That is so interesting. That happened to me as well. Uh, and thank God I was in hospital because I um, I started getting that the the pain down a leg that you're probably talking about. Yeah. And I started to, and I was thinking, no, absolutely no. not. No. And I did the same <laughs> thing. And I demanded an MRI scan, and I said, "You are not going to leave me here." No, you know, like yeah, we're not I said, this we are not having this. There is no debate here. You're not going to politician me again. Like you're getting me an MRI scan, and we're having this yeah. done. Cause I want peace of mind. And uh, yeah, so you did the same thing as well. And did it come back all good, all clear? I have a small herniation to the left side, which they think will resolve um, probably just for me overdoing it with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Probably just for me overdoing it um, or twisting the wrong way, turning the wrong way. Or they said that it could be because they removed such a large portion of the disc that, from my back actually like compressing Mm -hmm. that it could have kind of herniated that little piece out right yeah and so they're hoping so i've actually i mean like unrelated news but i guess you know something for our community anybody that's overweight i I think can relate to that is just something that i decided to do is that i'm going to go for bariatric surgery just to Mm -hmm. get the weight off like as quickly as i possibly can just because like I know that I can go to the gym and I can try and get it off slowly, but I, mm-hmm. in my head, I'm like, I need it off as quickly as I can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. yeah so that's, that's been my decision is that I'm going to go and get it. And I'm like, I want it off and I want it off for good. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that'll help my mobility. Hopefully that will help so many other things because especially yeah. after having, I feel like I, I knew I had gained the weight. Like there was mm-hmm. no, there was no question that I had gained the weight while mm-hmm. I was suffering. But after I had the surgery, I could feel that weight. I could mm-hmm. tell. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, my God, I feel heavy. Like, yeah. I, I can feel that I'm carting around this extra weight. Yeah. And I don't like it. Yeah. And so now I'm like, I need it off now. Yeah. yeah. Right now. And yeah. Fair play. with our limited mobility, I feel like it's going to be so much harder to yeah. get it off and then like I th- I don't know if you feel the same way but I feel like I baby my back like I'm so yeah. scared of hurting it again yeah, yeah. and so I'm like I yeah. want to go to the gym but like even like I said swimming I got out and I was like oh my god what's yeah. happening <laughs> yeah. oh god yeah, yeah. I had, my son my son has just turned two and my daughter is is five uh, I've got two older ones as well but they, they're not going to jump on my back one yeah. of them's just turned 19 the other one's going to be 26 so they won't jump on me but no. the two little ones because we like to rough and tumble my yeah. son jumps on my back thank god he's not as heavy but even yeah. with him I hold him in because he likes to just give me a hug so he comes and hugs me but sometimes he wants to rough and tumble and he doesn't understand because he's only two Absolutely. so I have to I have to bring him to the front I have to throw him over my shoulder to and play with him I, but my daughter um she tried to jump on me yesterday and I panicked I was like no 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 don't jump on me and she's don't like jump on me. I was like no 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 don't jump on daddy's back she's like why I said I'm not I'm not fully you know it's not fully healed yet I've still got to wait you know a couple more months and I saw the physio today and I said to her look you know when is the time when I can 
possibly do some stuff, you know, with the back. And she's like, you've got to wait just a few more, just another month or two. And you yeah. should be good then to start, you know, to, yeah. you know, to possibly start looking at maybe body weight stuff. Do you, do you mind me asking, like with your kids, my kids struggled a lot with me being gone. Did your mm. kids or your family, like, how did they cope? Because my little ones, I think I didn't realize how it would affect them. Mm. And for me, that was, that was something that I didn't think about. But when I got home, my kids were so worried about me leaving again. And they were mm. so every time I put on a coat it was like where are you going or why are you going somewhere and I was like I'm not going anywhere like I'm just I'm cold or I'm chilled or I'm this or I'm that mm. but like even them going back to school they were so concerned that they were going to come home and I wasn't going to be here yeah and even now like I you know I'll put on a bathing suit or I'll put on a robe or whatever and my daughter will ask me she's five too my youngest is five mm -hmm. and she'll say mommy is your is your back better and I'm like yes I'm better look like I'll show her my scar I'm better look oh but it doesn't look better and I'm like no no I'm better like <laughs> yeah I'm, like trying to explain to them and trying to tell them that we are okay but also trying to explain to them that they need to be gentle right yeah uh, but I don't think I I don't think I realized like how much it would affect them mm -hmm. yeah it, it it honestly was tough um it was tough because you know I I was away for five weeks um and i've never been away for that period of time ever um you know with 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 my kids and you know my wife if we've ever had to travel anywhere i'd say yeah. like a few days the most a week the most um so yeah it was it was tough yeah it was really tough to the point where my the kids were they started to wake up <clears throat> earlier they were getting up at sometimes five o'clock in the morning. Sometimes it would be half five and because, and they'd come in and obviously my wife is then she's working full time. You know, she's being a full time mum. She's having to, you know, travel into London and she's having to pick up the kids. She's literally doing everything. Usually we split things 50, 50 yeah, yeah. because I work from home, but um, yeah, I'm not here. And yeah, for that period of time, it was really, really tough on the kids. And it was also really tough on, on my wife as well. But interestingly yeah. enough, as soon as I came home, they went straight back to bed, went back to their routine. But it was interesting yeah. what you were saying about the attachment that as soon as, you know, as, as I was doing something or if anything happened, like if we went out somewhere, my daughter would be next to me and she would not go anywhere. If my wife and son walked in front, she would not leave my sight. She still does it now. She's always with me. I just want to make sure you're okay. Are you all right? And she'll hold the door for me. She's absolutely adorable, but it, it does, you know, it, um, my son, not so much because he's, you know, he's, he's two, but um, yeah, he's still, he's still very little, but yeah, with, with Ruby definitely she um and she would say to my wife like when's daddy coming home you know I really miss daddy and so you know now and it, and it was hard for me when I came home because there will be a couple of times when you know I'd have to stay with with the children and um I'd really struggle you know and and you know I'd have to kind of like especially with my son because I can't just and this is the frustrating part I can't get up because I I'm I'm walking with a with a frame um 
by the time I get my ass off the sofa and, you know, and get into the frame and I can't, I'm moving at, you know, a snail pace. Absolutely. My son yeah. will shift. He'll go, he'll run off. So I'm, I had to, you know, shout at the kids and, and which I don't do. And that was tough for me, you know, to try and get their attention, to try and get them to stop doing something that, you know, for them to stop getting hurt, where I'd usually just get up and go, come on, come and sit with daddy, come and do this. It was um, tough. It was a tough journey, you know. Yeah, and absolutely. I think like that too, you know, that family, that family toll mm. that it, that it takes. Mm. Um, I know like our son is our middle child. He's eight. And he started having outbursts and we noticed like same thing bedtime Mm. was when and it was once I got home um but it was like outbursts of anger and Mm -hmm. not listening and all of these things and we could not figure out like we would sit down with him and try and talk to him and say like what is going on where are these big feelings coming from and Mm. just try and find the source of it Mm. and I had to reach out to my in-laws because that's who had kept my kids while I was in the hospital in the, mm-hmm. in the city. And I was like, do you have any idea? Because I'm at a loss. And I, same thing. I, I couldn't walk, but I couldn't keep up with him. Mm-hmm. And I could, when he would go into these fits, I couldn't, I couldn't help him. I couldn't, I don't know how to describe it. It's not like I needed to like pin him down or, or anything like that. Like mm-hmm. he's eight, but like mm-hmm. you can't, is it, is handle the right word? Like I couldn't, I couldn't help him. Yeah. Um, words like words wouldn't get through. And then he just, he would get his fists tight. And it was just like, where is this coming from? Because honestly, he's not that kind of kid. Like he's so sweet and so kind and it was just like, what is going on? Hmm. And he had written a Christmas note and I have a photo of it and it just, it breaks my heart, but he had written a Christmas note. They had get, been given these magazines with toys mm-hmm. and in the back of it was like a list where he could write which toys he wanted. Mm-hmm. And instead of writing down toys, he had wrote that he wanted for mom to get better. Oh, and sorry. I was just mm-hmm. like, you don't realize the effect like I am okay. I would say that I am very lucky as a person on this journey, mm. but you don't realize the effect that it has on, on the people around you for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. It really yeah. does. And it, it's one of these things that, you know, I've realized with, with us as a family, you know, the, the, the most important thing, I think if anybody can take away from this is, you know, be open, be honest, be vulnerable. You know, yeah. and really practice patience with each other because we're all in this journey. And I said to, you know, I said to my wife, this isn't just me going through this. You're going through this as well. Like this, you're gonna learn something about yourself, you know, with all of this. These these are these are lesson in here for for all of us, you know. Yeah. So as much as we're alone in, in going through the CS journey. You know, there is a lesson there for for the children. There's a lesson there for your husband, my wife and my children and even my parents who have been amazing, you know, and my two older ones. You know, it's been huge for 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 everyone. But one of the things that has really worked is surrounding yourself by people who who can bring shine that light 
you know, to bring positivity. That's something which, you know, is has been really, really important for, for me and for us. And um, just taking it one day at a time, you know, one day. but really practicing, just really practicing that unconditional love, you know. And that's one of the things I've realized, you know, I when I were you said about being in, in a ward with, what did you say, was it about three or four people? Yeah. Mine had six. So it was, it was, there was a two, there was like one next to me, one here, and then two, three, then in front of me. And honestly, it was a shit show. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> it was one. Oh, I could tell you some stories like it's just hilarious. I'm, I'm, I always laugh when, when I, um, you know, when I, when I, if I speak or if I talk to people, I always say whoever created us, whether it's God, a creator, whatever it might be, a higher power, I always laugh and say, I'm sure that whoever it is got distracted and overdid it with the optimism cup because the world could be fucking ended. And I'll go, it's fine. Don't worry right. about it. It's, yeah. it's good. We're going to be absolutely fine. And that's never changed. Even when this happened, I went, I'm going to recover 110% and I'm going to walk. That's not even a, a question. I'm sat next to a guy or sat. I mean, uh, you know, the guy next to me is a multimillionaire. He's got like a, a recruitment business. He's a multimillionaire. He's had a brain surgery. There's a guy next to me who was uh, 93. He was a genius. The guy was like a neuroscientist or something crazy. This dude was insane. But he's mental. He he'd he'd be waking up at like four o'clock in the morning singing opera, and in the middle of the day doing that. The guy in front of me was literally the polar opposite of me, the most negative person you can think of. <laughs> and then there were like people that just kind of came in and out. But one of the things we all agreed on is there is no money on the planet that will buy your health. Nothing absolutely nothing and that's one of the things that i've learned you know with going through this journey is you know we all go through life at some point thinking that we're invincible you know but when something like this happens you realize actually we are so fragile you know and we're lucky that you know we're walking you know i'm assisted you know and obviously you've got you know a, a drop foot but how lucky are we do you know what i mean to to still be alive to still be breathing right and it, it's one of these things that for me is one of the biggest lessons i've learned and you know in and when i send up my prayers and when i've sent whether it's a prayer whether it's an energy to the world law of attraction i don't care one of the things i always ask for is listen i'm recovered my body is 100 percent, and i just say it to myself even if it's not from the beginning i just kept saying it and you know, eventually things started to wake up and things started to move. And I'm like, there you go. Let's keep just saying it because keep going because, you know, and if there's a message, you know, anybody who's in the group, who's listening to this now is listen to, you know, your journey, you know, and, and listening to this, you know, the importance of, of that self-care, that self-love, you know, and, and surrounding yourself with, you know, with, with your children, your family. And if you don't have, that kind of support around you find it you know find it in a group you know find people that you know you you can confine in whether that happiness is a cup of coffee and netflix or your dad or a cat it doesn't matter where you're happy find your happiness because you deserve that yeah 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 and and embrace and you know I always say to people as well kind of embrace the challenge embrace the tough times because they're tough 
they're shit yeah. and they suck. But you know, because you one of the things you said you said earlier on, and I wanted to to kind of answer that question for you because you said, "Why is this happening to me?" And my wife said the same thing. It's like, "Why is this happening to us?" And I remember there's like this little voice just said to me, "Because you're gonna do great things off the back of this." Like, because I didn't realize what it really was. I didn't really understand CES. I didn't really understand kind of what it was. And when I started reading about it and then joined a group and started looking at everybody else's journey. And um, I was like, man, this is huge. And no one knows about it, you know? And that's the reason why you've gone through it, you know? To be able to have, you know, people listen to it who are going through it, to have people who haven't gone through it know more about it, you know? I'm Like I said, I'm a nurse, but I I graduated pretty recently, about three years ago. Mm -hmm. And I went out for lunch last weekend. with my sister and my nursing instructor was like, Mm -hmm. Oh, Hey, how are you? And I was like, you'll never believe what happened to me. And when I mentioned it, she was like, you got what? And I was like, hold up. You don't know what this is. And she was like, no, like send me an email. And I was like, you need to teach every student that goes through your classroom about this. And I was like, you know what? Like if you mention it to a classroom of 20 kids and one of them researches it. Great. Mm -hmm. Great. One Mm -hmm. person. Mm. more in the world researches it because mm. that's what needs to happen yeah right yeah. and so it's like exactly that like bring the light to it you know I work in the hospital mm. so if I can make a pamphlet and put pamphlets in our emergency department so that mm. people read up on it or yeah. bring the light to it like yeah bring it forward so that more people know about it yeah and this because is it and that's your power you know, especially yeah. for you being a nurse as well, you know, you understand, especially having gone through it yourself and having gone through the nightmare as well of being left when you've been diagnosed and, you know, not gone through the surgery, you know, like you now, you are the survivor that have gone through it. You know, you are where you are now and, you know, what an incredible opportunity ahead of you now to be able to, you know, who knows, potentially go teach you know, classes to go and speak, you know, and, and help people because you've got a really powerful story, you know, and, and this is why for me, I, I just kind of gravitated. I mean, I'm going through it anyway. So I was like, I just want to speak to people now because I do podcasts in any way. And, you know, I do this stuff. So I'm like, let's just get as many people as we possibly can yeah, to talk absolutely. about it. That hopefully a ripple effects. Hmm. Everybody's so different. And that's like, the crazy part right is like I think it's kind of the same way as like when you if you were to bring up a birth story everybody's birth story is going to be different and everybody's going to have a different experience and some people is going to be super traumatic and some people is just going to be like super powerful Mm. but um it's kind of the same thing is like medical stuff is so powerful Mm. and I think that like the light needs to be kind of shined onto it because Mm. we all have a different story and at the end of the day, like, I think that even if, you know what, at the end of the day, if it reaches a doctor, if it reaches a surgeon, if if we can teach them to, to speak to somebody, mm. I understand, like, for me, I went to school and I was always taught, like, you never give false information, kind of like what you were told, like, you yeah. never, we're always told, like, you never tell somebody that they're going to go home 
if you don't know that they're going to go home. You mm. never tell somebody that they're going to be okay if you don't know that they're going to be okay. Like that is some, we had to take a full class on it. Like you mm. never give that false information. Mm. For me, I understand that a surgeon doesn't want to give that false information, but there's also like a, a fine line that could have been drawn between being kind yeah. and telling somebody to go home, right? Yeah, and like, yeah. And me having to make those choices completely on my own mm. and feeling so alone in those moments. Mm. And I, I feel like so many other people probably feel so alone in those moments. So mm. like, again, I love that you're doing podcasts on it. I love that um, I got to be a part of this. And I hope yeah. that I hope that somebody hears this and doesn't feel alone yeah. um, because they're not like they're not alone. And there's so many people out there, mm. but yeah, I think that's like the hardest part is that you come home and you just feel so alone and yeah. you, you know, like you just, you basically have to search for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And this is it, you know, and, and, and this is the reason why I wanted to do this because the podcast started out as, you know, mental health, addiction, health, nutrition, and all of a sudden, actually I had to stop doing it because I ended up in hospital yeah. and I thought, actually I started doing some posts because that's that you know I wanted to just share my story and he just popped into my head like you love podcasting go back and do it but do it on this you know and and start to create something because it will evolve somehow so I was like yeah what's the worst that can happen like I'm doing it because I love it I don't get paid for it anyway so you know let's just let's let's kind of yeah let's just do it and and this is the the hope behind it is that it really does reach um you know the the right people you know whether that's a that's a parent whether that's a wife a husband you know a friend somebody that that knows you know it was, it was one of my best friends from school that turned up on monday because as i said on friday the friday before the ambulance refused to take me to the hospital they refused to take me although i was showing all the signs he came to my house because i phoned him and said he's a physiotherapist and i said dude, I'm struggling. I'm in so much pain. What should I do? Because, you know, and I explained about the, the ambulance not taking me. And then he, you know, they said to me, you're sciatica. <laughs> and he said, okay, yeah. it doesn't sound like sciatica because if your foot is going numb or if your foot's dropped, that's not just sciatica. Are you sure it's not called a requiner? It was like, this called a requiner keeps coming up. I said, but they told me it's not. He's like, that doesn't sound right. I'm coming over. Within the hour, he was here in my house and he had the whole physio table. He tried to get me on a table. And as you know, when you're in pain, you're in pain. Nothing. There is no position he could get me in that I could get comfortable. And he literally just looked at me, Chelsea. I walked from the door to my living room, which is not very far. And I said to him, you're going to have to wait. I'm sorry, but I can't. You know, when you're talking about you can't move, you have to stop because you're in so much pain. I sat down on the sofa and he looked at me and he went, Alex, this isn't sciatica. Like, this is serious. This could be called a requiner. Like, you know, so we did what we needed to do. And then thank God he took me to, to A&E, to, to the emergency services because, you know. It, it, and yeah. so for me, at the end, something else that was kind of crazy is like how you were saying with the fetal position. For me at the very end, the only way that I could get that pain to go away was laying completely flat. The only yeah. way that it would go away was like literally to plank, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, remember, I remember running to my son's bed like towards the last weeks. Like 
I would cook something, but I would be standing mm. there for two minutes and his room is like right kind of beside our kitchen. And I would go to his room and literally just like throw my body yeah, onto yeah. his flat. And he was just like, what are you doing? And I was like, I just need a minute. Yeah. <laughs> just up so much pain. Thing. Yeah. But like, that's what, that's the only way that it would go away. And I remember like getting to the bottom of our stairs and his room is right at the very bottom of the stairs. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I got into his room mm-hmm. and I laid flat and I was like, call an ambulance. Like mm-hmm. it was just as flat as I could get. And mm-hmm. my husband was just like, what do I do with you? And I was like, I don't know what to do. Like just whatever. And they ended up putting me into like a, I don't even know what they called it. Like a people mover or something. They wouldn't bring the mm-hmm. car into our yeah. house. Yeah into a bag basically and like hauled me out and i was like this is terrible you guys are swinging me through the house oh in my leather bag and i was so scared and i remember in my head like and it's so wild for me to think about now because we're very good friends with our neighbors yeah. but like we live on five acres and i remember thinking like oh my god they're going to see me hauled out of my house bag and they're probably gonna think it's like a body bag and it's not like i'm fully oh alive <laughs> but i remember talking to them like a couple of weeks ago and being like i'm very sorry if you've seen that she was like we we did not see it but i would have been terrified and i was like yeah i was so scared oh, <laughs> me in this big leather bag <laughs> oh my god what happened to chelsea oh my god so either yeah. that or you buried a husband she's like oh i've had enough of him no, no he was he was walking beside me so they would have known he was yeah, alive yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh no but yeah so this is you know this is kind of the 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 journey we go through right but you know what it's nice that we can laugh at it to, to a certain degree right because there are some of us unfortunately that you know that that can't but hopefully through these conversations we can bring some light you know at the end of the tunnel you know because one of the things i'm i'm discovering and i'm i'm going to be sharing it more and more and more so for people listening i'm going to be sharing more and more um because i'm i'm literally a guinea pig to what i'm having to do you know for for myself so you know i'm going to be sharing some stuff around you know mindset things that i've been doing because everybody's journey is so different Absolutely. and i want to try and you know and, and journey you know, as as sorry, not journey to journal and voice as much as of of this journey as possible, and obviously with your help and you know and and everybody that's that's going to be coming on uh, over the next sort of few weeks, you know, to really start to to kind of paint this picture and hopefully together, you know, give people solutions, you know, just solutions to this problem that you know there's no kind of one. You know, it's not like one size fits all, you know, but hopefully one thing which I have noticed is having that kind of right, you know, the right mindset, you know, looking after the mind, the body, you know, surrounding yourself with the right people and getting the right, you know, physiotherapy and stuff like that. You know, these things um, yeah. and like, don't help. overdo it. Like, don't, don't yeah. overdo it. You're in that journey. Do not overdo it. It's not no. worth it. And ask no. for help. Like, absolutely. Ask for help. Mm. Yeah. Whether yeah. it's like home care, I know that I was offered home care nurses, but I I declined it because I have family here. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, there's always going to be a form of help. So like, yeah. if somebody needs it, find it. Don't take it. it. Not yeah. worth it. As no. like both of us know that two week setback, it's not worth it. Yeah, exactly. And this is the thing as well. And, and and as you know, and as as I know, this is 
you're talking about the spine as well. It's not like you broke an arm or you broke a leg. No, you know, absolutely. this this is serious. You know, we were talking to this is how lucky are we? My wife's a psychotherapist and one of her clients, his dad is a consultant. So he he specializes in called a requiner spinal surgery. Like that's his thing. So whilst I'm in hospital, my wife is speaking to to you know a to specialist. his wife <laughs> honestly oh like you couldn't have written this this better so he's like right tell alex this get him to tell the doctors this and blah because you know they like to always give the and so we were very lucky we got so much support from 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 them and their family i'm so grateful i'm actually trying to get him onto the podcast because he sounds incredible so i'd love to kind of drill his knowledge for all of us as well you know to to learn from from a specialist so i want to try and find a specialist who who is willing to come and talk you know and, yeah. and share some knowledge uh i'm hoping to to kind of get him but um you know, it's it's one of these things that kind of just goes goes on and on. And hopefully the more and more we talk through this, you know, we can we can continue kind of coming together as a community and help each other as, as much as possible. Because I think that's one of the things I, I've discovered is that there is not really enough out there, you know, and hopefully we can help each other to push for things. You know, if this has worked for me look you know push for physio push for this stuff because otherwise as you said you get lumped you kind of go yeah we need the bed go home have all these drugs and i see you're done and some people go is this my life now when actually it's not you know and i say to people you have to be tough if you're going through this now if you're in hospital you've got to be tough you've got to bang the table you've got to demand because you know in some countries i don't know whether it's like that in canada because here the health service is free i think it's canada is it the same yeah oh so you're the same as us so we're so lucky aren't we in that sense you know where where it's free but you still have to demand you know to get the health care that you need and it's within your right to, to do it as well, you know, as a patient, because you don't want to keep coming back. So I guess in a sense, you want to make sure you're getting the best. And, you know, for places where you have to pay, if you're paying for a service, make sure you get what you need. So don't ever be afraid, you know, to, you know, to advocate. like advocate for yourself. Absolutely. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really do. Because this is this is serious, man. And like, you know, the you 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 do not deserve, doesn't matter who it is, you do not deserve to be bed bound. You do not deserve to not have the full recovery that you need, you know. And um yeah, listen, thank you so much for 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 coming for on. Having me. Oh, honestly, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure. And I hope you keep smashing in. I hope you keep shining and you know, with all the stuff that you've been through. I really hope that you help more and more people, you know, even professionals, especially with what you do being a nurse. Oh, I, I really hope that you, you know, you, you get kind of that message out to, to, to professionals because, you know, you've, um, yeah, you've been a real soldier in this and, you know, I really hope that your journey helps, you know, other people to, to be able to see this quicker. Cause I think that's the most important thing, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Awesome stuff. Well, listen, guys, thank you so much as always for listening, for being part of, of our journey. Cause it's, you know, this is all of us kind of going through this. And the only thing I always ask as we kind of end the show is look, just comment. You got a question, ask. And the only thing is share, share this because the more we can get Chelsea's journey, you know, our journeys out there, 
the more and more you know we can get this um you know this information out there and and make this more accessible and available to to more people anything you want to end it with no just thank you so much for having me and yeah just if there's any questions or concerns or anything like that feel free to comment let me know yeah amazing stuff thanks for listening and if you want to find out more about how you can overcome issues caused by mental health go to alexdasilva.co.uk that's www.alxdasilva.co.uk see you on the next one be great be fantastic and be absolutely phenomenal take care (laughs) 